Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. We're on 36 different platforms. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show, download it, have it come to your inbox. You'll get it each day. 36 degrees and sunny here in Northeast Pennsylvania, 412 here at the station. So happy to bring on my next guest, uh, Joe Borelli's New York City Council member, Republican leader in New York City. And Joe, there's no short of shortness of things to talk about when it comes to New York State and New York. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. And no, you're right. There is never, never uh, a shortage of crazy things we could be discussing. And let's, let's just start it off with the governor of, of New York. And I, I saw we both commented on this pretty much about the same time when it came out, when she was bragging about setting up this, co- this committee to look at reparations for New York State. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on this? Look, I mean, New York was one of the first t- uh, states to abolish uh, slavery. It's something that a Staten Islander did, Governor uh, Daniel Tompkins. It's something that we should be proud of. The uh, Robert Gould Shaw, they made a movie about him. They commanded the 54th Massachusetts, the movie Glory. That guy was a Staten Islander, a New Yorker. We should be proud of our legacy uh, of ending slavery and and, and committing so many men to the cause uh, of the Union and fighting against slavery. That The fact that we're having this discussion right now is unbelievably ridiculous. And for Hochul to do this, it just shows that now that the election's over, she's willing to be divisive, and now she's more concerned about her left flank going into her, you know, potentially her first full four-year term. And she just doesn't give a, a, a rat's, you know what, uh, what regular workday New Yorkers think, because this is one of the most unpopular things you will see come out of Albany this year. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty tough bar to beat, I mean, because there's some unpopular things coming out of Albany. But this will be number one. And we've seen this play out already in California, where the governor of California, you know, if you want to look for what what not to do as a governor, you know, Gavin Newsom's a great example for that. He he went through this these motions. He set up this committee. And in the end, they came up and they said, OK, one point two million dollars for reparation payments to people. And all of a sudden he's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I, I didn't mean they were going to make financial payouts. We just kind of wanted a dollar figure so we could figure out what to do next. And you, you you tell people in your state that, yeah, we're going to look into this where maybe payments for you get them all excited. And then at the end say, yeah, we really didn't have the money this, for this to begin with. Well, you, you're thinking too rational, Rob. I mean, uh, you would think that's pretty ridiculous. They're ready to make that guy Newsom president because for the Democratic Party, you know, the, the, the focus on race and the checkbox, poli- checkbox politics uh, and the focus downstream on reparations is what gets you status in, in the party. And that brings me to really my, my next point about reparations is that if Democrats want to find an entity that was around during slavery, that advocated for slavery, that kept people and empowered people in office who perpetuated slavery, who owned slaves, and it's an entity that still raises and spends hundreds of millions of dollars every year, that's actually the Democratic Party itself. Look back to to the convention of 1860, the party platform in the 1840s and 1830s and 1850s, and this is an entity, an institution still existing that advocated for slavery. And then after slavery, they were the principal opponents to Reconstruction. So if we're looking for someone to pay, maybe you're right, but it should be the Democratic Party who should be the first ones getting out the checkbooks. Sounds sounds pretty logical to to the rest of the people who look at this. 
Um, looking at what's going on, I talk about it here daily. Uh, you know, I'm a former New York City homicide detective, lived in New York City my, most of my adult life. Finally, you know, made the move to escape after I retired. I moved here to the Northeast Pennsylvania. We're only two hours from, from, from New York City. Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, where we're based out of here in Scranton, Wilkesbury area. Hillary Clinton's childhood home, uh, Joe Biden's childhood home. They're really not seeing migration, the illegal migration here like you guys are there. I warn about it all the time. You hear the mayor saying, you know, they're basically crying uncle. They've cut departments already five, then 10 percent, looking for another 5 percent to a total of 15 percent come January. Nine billion dollar deficit they're facing. How bad is it there on the ground? Well, but by the way, you might not be getting migrants, but you're getting New York migrants because your low flat tax rate is still cheaper than the uh, much. The, your tax rate for the highest earners, my point, is cheaper than the lowest tax bracket for New Yorkers. So people are definitely moving and migrating to you, just not the illegal migrants that are causing the problems here. But this is very bad. I mean, we did our first round of cuts. We're in negotiations now on what we should cut. Um, it's going to end up in, in headcount reductions. Right now, the impact's not going to be that bad because, in truth, we've been having a problem recruiting for so many of these positions anyway. But come January, you're going to see this next round of 5% cuts have to come from somewhere. A lot of my progressive friends are well-meaning, but they actually believe that money grows on trees and budgets are just fabrications and, 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 and math doesn't really exist. There's money trees everywhere all over New York. And it's just not true. And, and, and to his credit, Mayor Adams has a much more solid grounding in this. And it, it's going to be left on his desk, and he's going to get the blame for it either way. But there's going to be some problematic cuts uh, that the council's going to have to try to fight, but they're not going to be able to. They're, they're, the money just isn't there. And, and we've already seen some of the things that are going on there. The, the mere fact that I saw the, the UFT standing with the city controller talking about let's extend that 60-day right to shelter and not, not have them – uh, get evicted at that point you know the does the uft realize that their jobs are also on the line that the department of education the police department the fire department every single agency is taking cuts well, well no they're actually suing the city trying to uh, sue on a provision in our city charter that says we basically can't uh, uh, reduce education spending if the overall revenues of the city haven't decreased so on one hand they're out there saying spend all this money on the migrants when the money gets spent on the migrants, they're actually, on the other hand, saying, well, we're going to sue you if you cut any education money, even though all the money went for exactly what they asked us to spend it on. That's just New York logic, and this is why we're leading the country once again in people who are leaving the state for greener pastures, whether you're in northeast Pennsylvania or Florida or the Carolinas or anywhere in between. Uh, let's move on to public safety and, and, and basically law and order in New York City. We've seen it suffer. They've canceled the next, what, five police academy classes um, you know, the, the the big talk is, well, crime is down 0.66% in total. Violent crime is down for this year, 0.66%. But when you go to a two-year, crime is up 23.38%, as per the NYPD's own stats. I have Comstat up right here. They're leaving that part out. You know, okay, so you're, so you're just above a half a percent total violent crime de decline for this year. But if you compare it to two years, you're up 23.38%. You've canceled. Morale is shot there. And you have this progressive city council that you sit across from, uh, you know, at least every other day or a couple times a week that, that are looking to micromanage the, the Department of Corrections. They're looking to micromanage police to hamstring them with paperwork and take them off the, 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 the proactive policing even further. Um, 
Give us a little bit on that. Look, look, I'm glad the crime shot down a little bit, right, even though it's, it's just not anywhere near its, its all-time uh, numbers. Um, that said, you know, whatever poll you look at, whatever roundtable or town hall you attend in New York or civic association meeting, et cetera, everyone from, from billionaire CEOs to, to, you know, subway workers and, and, and poor people, everywhere, anywhere you are in New York City, People are saying that public safety is the top one or two uh, concern for New Yorkers. So what does the city council do? Well, just yesterday, they had basically criminal day at City Hall, where we passed one bill, uh, the, the least innocuous, was to prevent uh, landlords. All right, landlords get a bad name in New York. Now we're going to ban landlords from doing a background check on potential tenants. And you know who really actually suffers? The other tenants. And we heard from so many regular New Yorkers who, who basically said, I, I might hate my landlord, but I certainly don't mind that he looks up whether the person he's going to rent to is a, is a murderer. The other bill was to ban solitary confinement, something that has already been banned in New York City for about 10 years. Uh, but they're basically banning punitive segregation. So now if you're on Rikers Island, you assault another inmate, you slash him, you sexually assault a correction officer, you can only be put in punitive segregation for a max of four hours. That's basically a timeout. That's what I give my, my eight-year-old for, for, you know, uh, acting up to his mother. And the last bill was this, was this uh, stop uh, law where we have to now report on any police interaction uh, that police officers have. Uh, there was a Supreme Court case, People v. Bauer. There's three levels of stops. Uh, the, the, the highest level is a full stop and frisk and, and all that jazz. We already report on that. This is going to go down to level one stops, which could be anything from, hey, we're canvassing the area, looking for this guy, have you seen him? You ask someone that question as part of an investigation, now you have to write a report. There's something like two point something million level one stops each year. Each cop uh, is doing hundreds, if not thousands of them. So we're just going to bog down uh, our officers on patrol in paperwork because the goal is to not have police do police work. We already paid the price for defunding the police politically, some of the left. Now they said, well, instead of defunding the police, let's just hamstring them with bull crap paperwork. Excuse my French. Yeah, and, and we all know, uh, anyone who's been on the ground, I know you spend a lot of time with the police department, you spend a lot of time with their unions, the leadership in the police department, as well as the other departments in the city, but but we all know that they are looking to stymie proactive policing. Even officers who are still out there trying to do the right thing in their community, like you said, bog them down with paperwork, make them put blinders on, don't get involved, don't ask people questions, don't get in, and, and we've seen... The, the negative effects of something like that. If you want community policing, let there be community policing. That includes interactions. That includes asking questions. That includes taking questions. But once you once you put that barrier in there, where you're going to have the police outright, you know, look to to not get involved with the public when they should be, common right of inquiry and whatever to stop may be. And like you said, a lot of these procedures have been in place. A lot of this paperwork's already being done. The NYPD is one of the most stringent as far as their stop, question, fix, their 250s, the paperwork and everything they do, their aided cards, you know, every interaction they have. Let's bog them down even more. That's basically it. Uh, you know, and, and you mentioned uh, how, how the department really has come a long way on this community policing model. I mean, we spend a lot of time, uh, energy, and effort on building a department that looks and reflects the communities they serve. And now these officers genuinely are part of the communities in which they uh, operated. And to have them basically have some reservation now 
about just, you know, questioning some, some teenagers on a street corner who look a little suspicious, et cetera, is not going to serve the general public. It's not going to reduce crime. It's not – keep in mind also, Rob, this is, this is an important part of this. It's not going to prevent one bad cop from doing something corrupt or abusing uh, a use of force or anything like that, keep in mind. This is just to bog down police officers with real no tangible benefit or result at the end of the day. Great stance right there. Uh, uh, Joe, the biggest uh, challenge facing New York City right now, if you had to sum it up, what is it? I actually think it's affordability. Uh, I think people are just unwilling to pay the premium that they once were willing to pay to live in what, you know, just five years ago was probably one of the greatest cities on earth. It just isn't anymore. And the fact that costs continue to go up, whether it's housing costs or congestion pricing or groceries, et cetera, and people are just less willing to pay that price. We are one of only three or four states to actually lose people, and uh, it, it's clear why. People just can't afford to live here, and the, the, the state they get for the money they invest is just simply not worth it. That's, that could be the doom loop of New York. I'm, I don't root against us, but that, that really is the problem that could really cause the, the fundamental decline of the city to take. Because with that goes tax base, with that goes income tax, payroll taxes, and uh, you know just the, the the outright infrastructure that's carried New York City in and out, and day in and day out. And like you said, New York leads that list with over a hundred thousand that have fled both New York City and New York State, the entire state. So uh, it, it is it, it's it's that nuclear option to where enough people leave, there's only so much tax to go around. Then then what happens? It's true, and I mean, we we can't even build housing. I mean, to to keep up with with people that even want to stay to kind of decrease the the housing costs. Florida builds five houses for every one unit built in New York City, so you know we we can't even get out of our own way to make New York City profitable uh, and make businesses grow and make uh, businesses want to come here. No business or people or companies come here without some tax incentive, meaning some you know give back by the government. Uh, so that's not a sustainable scenario because we can't keep enticing people by giving away the tax base. All right. Again, we're speaking to New York City Council Republican leader Joe Borelli. Joe, I appreciate you joining us, and I'm sure we're going to speak to you again, my friend. Anytime. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Have a great night. It's uh, 426 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. Thanks, <laughs> Rob. I'm trying to figure out the map. It, there's a... Accidents reported 81 southbound near Dunmore. There's also one reported 81 northbound just after Music Street. So 81 southbound through the Scranton area seems to be going under 20 miles per hour. 81 northbound is moving around 35 miles an hour or so. So beware. There is some slowing on 81 both directions. This Pentella Data Internet Traffic Update, we also are looking at some slowing because of construction, 81 northbound near Waverly, and between Music and Pittston, you can expect to dip below 20 miles per hour as well um, due to um, heavy traffic, 81 northbound too, or so various areas on 81 with some issues. Another accident reported southbound minor just a few seconds ago before the Wilkesbury Bear Creek exit. Uh, it doesn't look like the show is let out yet at the Mohegan Sun Arena, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. That show started about 2.30 this afternoon, but it will be letting out in 
you know, within the next half hour to hour or so. So you want to watch that area, too, for very heavy traffic if you want to avoid frustration. Uh, please uh, avoid 81 near Highland Park Boulevard both directions as well as the Mohegan Sun Arena on Highland Park Boulevard area, Monday Street in Wilkes-Barre. I'll be there at 6.15. Business route. You're going to leave at 6. You got a helicopter. Cool. I'm going to the 7.30 show, so i got to go park there. So, so you, I'm, I'm going to be sitting in it. <laughs> you're going to have to. Yeah. Right. But if you don't have to, I would I not. I would avoid do, the area. I would not do it. That would be the easiest way. And if you went to the 2.30 show, get out yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Leave early. Don't worry. Wait for that encore. <laughs> That's all. But I hear it's spectacular. So, all right. But just, you know, you're going to watch um, Cole Street and Wilkes-Barre, Blackman Street and Wilkes-Barre. All of those are going to have some heavy traffic. So just be careful. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, mostly clear and cold, low 22. Ugh. Friday, mix of sun and clouds, high 40. Friday night, increasing clouds, low 34. Saturday, cloudy with a few sprinkles of flurries, high 43. Sunday, mostly cloudy and mild, high 45. And Christmas Day, partly sunny and warmer, high 50. It's currently 36 degrees and sunny here. At 429 at your official weather station, WILK. It's time for the NEPA Premium Perks. Enjoy this half-off deal for the Blue Shutters. Get a $50 voucher for only $25. Fine dining experience at this restaurant has exceptional dinners prepared by their exclusive chef. Open Wednesdays through Saturdays for dinner at 5. Bar opens at 4. Located at 200 Memorial Drive in Elmhurst. Visit GetMyPerks.com for all the details. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 36 degrees and sunny at 438. It's the point of the show where we honor our heroes here at home who made the ultimate sacrifice. 78 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice on this day. Eight from here in Pennsylvania. I'm going to start with uh, Sergeant Wilfred Charles Doyle, the Philadelphia Police Department in 1979. Uh, responding, he drowned while responding to a report of a woman who had jumped off the Gerard Bridge. Patrolman Guy Roberts Surfross, Forks Township Police Department in 1974. Patrolman Surfross and two men were killed when a man drove them, drove into them as he investigated a hit-and-run accident on Route 115 in front of a local bar. Patrolman Harry F. Hartman, Jr., East Pennsboro Township Police Department in 1970. Succumbed to injuries sustained four days earlier when he was struck by a vehicle while directing traffic at the scene of an accident. Officer Horace Callahan, Prospect Park Borough Police Department in Pennsylvania in 1940, was struck and killed by a drunk driver while directing traffic on Chester Pike Street near Stewart Avenue. Patrolman John Joseph Sheem, Pittsburgh Bureau of Police, Pennsylvania, 1928, died of results of injuries sustained in a fall down a set of stairs on Murray Avenue. Patrolman Joseph Yasevac, Sharon Police Department of Pennsylvania, in 1926, was killed as he was intentionally rammed into a fire hydrant while riding on a running board of a vehicle. 
He had been on the patrol in downtown Sharon when he observed a suspicious vehicle. When he jumped on the running board, the driver of the vehicle drove off and struck the fire hydrant in the intersection. Private Bernard St. Clair McElroy, Pennsylvania State Police in 1924, was injured when his motorcycle collided with a passenger car in the city of Newcastle. He was seriously injured, was taken to Newcastle Hospital, where he died the following day. Police officer Hiram Hammer, Philadelphia Police Department in 1853, was killed during the collapse of a four-story brick building in North 3rd Street. And those are our uh, eight from uh, Pennsylvania. Got a report that uh, 81 South is backed up to Drinker Street. Okay. So uh, that's the text message we got in. I got someone here. Hey, Rob, just passed the studio on the way home from the 2.30 TSO concert, and to say it was fantastic is an understatement. Hope okay. you really enjoy yourself when you go tonight, because my wife and I had a fantastic time. It doesn't seem like there were too many traffic issues because of the show, mm-hmm. as anticipated, so that is good. We do, I mean, somebody also said, you know, what's the big deal with traffic? We have this show every year, and it's not this show. Any sold-out show causes traffic over there, Yeah, but... We don't have many shows in this area where there's two show sold-out shows, a 2.30 show and the 7.30 show right. are both sold out. You have to empty the parking lot before they let anyone else into it. Uh, so, it, yes, it causes extra issues. And maybe us reminding people all day to maybe not go in that area mm-hmm. might actually help others as they are coming and going. And them, because they won't be sitting in traffic. Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, 4.42 now, since we've already started talk about traffic. It's time for traffic and weather. Although we'll, we're, where there's nothing going on is where you're going to find the problems. This Pentella Data Internet Traffic Update is brought to you by Krispy Kreme in Clark Summit and Scranton. An accident, 81 southbound, has things backed up to Dunmore through the Scranton area. It is... Very slow go both directions. Coming northbound, you can expect to dip below the speed limit as well. We do see some slowing traffic on 81 northbound in the Pittston area as well, dipping below 35 miles per hour. Coming southbound from the um, Wilkes-Barre Bear Creek exit or around the Wilkes-Barre Bear Creek exit, you can also expect to dip below 45 miles per hour. And we're looking at a little bit of heavy traffic on Business Route 309 in Wilkes-Barre. That, there may be delays there. It looks like it's very heavy traffic. Uh, Monday Street in Wilkes-Barre also looks a bit jammed up at the moment. Uh, Highland Park Boulevard, bumper to bumper, there is a police presence. So that's what the map is looking like. I'm just reporting the, what the map says. Dixon City, heavy traffic on Main Street, heading up the hill, Route 6 and 11 in Clark Summit. There's heavy traffic there. And... Um, another area where you're going to find some delays with heavy traffic is North Main Avenue in Scranton. Where, Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, WILK Traffic. Just got some extra. Mindy Street is backed up to the mall. and somebody Mindy said, Street. Mindy Street. And somebody, <laughs> uh, Kevin Gilbride, said to say hello. Hi, Kevin. I hope to see you soon, my friend. Merry Christmas. There you go. It's time for the uh, Storm Tracker 16 forecast. For, thank you, Nikki, for the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, mostly clear and cold, low 22. Friday, mix of sun and clouds, high 40. Friday night, increasing clouds, low 34. Saturday, 
Cloudy with a few sprinkles of flurries, high 43. Sunday, which is Christmas Eve, mostly cloudy and mild, high 45. Christmas Day, partly sunny and warmer, high 50. It's uh, currently 36 degrees and clear outside. At 444, your official weather station, WILK. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's uh, 448 here, 36 degrees and sunny. You know, we've talked about the issue out in uh, the Red Sea where the Houthi rebels, rebels are, are pirates, terrorists, Iranian-backed, um, ragtag bunch of pirate terrorists for the most part, uh, are causing havoc out there in the Red Sea. Now, we do have military assets that are supposed to be uh, challenging that now, but uh, just came out today. This is uh, NBC News. Order anything from Ikea for Christmas this year. The Swedish furniture giant says some deliveries will be delayed and products will have less availability due to the attacks in the Red Sea forcing ships to take longer routes. So you see how quickly things like that affect us here. They're already talking about supply chain issues, and that's exactly what that is. Deliveries are going to be delayed. They're not going to have things in stock. And this is Ikea, you know, one of our furniture outlets here across the northeast. I don't know if they're around the nation, but I know they're across the, the east coast. Uh, anyway, when I lived down in uh, Annapolis, that's how I furnished my entire house because it's the only thing during that supply chain issue where I could get the uh, stuff from. Now, two things. 12% of the entire world's goods travel through the Red Sea. That's going to have an impact. That's going to have an impact on the economies of every nation. It's going to have an impact on everything for us. The difference is it takes a ship three to four hours to transit the uh, the Red Sea. These ships that are going around the Horn of Africa, it's taking more than 40 hours, 10 times the amount, 4,000 miles out of their way. And again, if you don't think we're going to be the ones – taking on that extra cost of 10 times the shipping cost, because that's exactly what that equates to, of regular everyday pricing, that's where we're at, and that's where something there has to take. And this is entirely done by this administration not giving our military the authority and plans to basically show that area this is not something you want to mess with. And if we allow... These ragtag Houthi terrorist pirate rebels that are backed by Iran, given sanctuary in Yemen, to do this, how do you think China is looking at the, the Taiwanian Strait, the China Sea, and all those areas? Hey, if, if these bunch of pirates can shut down 12% of the world's commerce, what do you think China can do with the, with the uh, areas around there in the Sea of China, in, in that area, in the China Sea? Cause havoc, cause havoc, instant crashes around the world. Let's go to the phones now. We have uh, Carol from Falls on Christmas. Carol, how are you? I'm fine, Rob. I just wanted to call and wish everybody at the station, all those that we hear on the mic all the time, and those that are in the back that make everything go smoothly, a very Merry Christmas, a blessed Merry Christmas. I, I enjoy all the programs. And I even listen to the ones at night. I like to listen to uh, Dave Ramsey and his group. 
not into football too much, but <laughs> I hear that once in a while. That's all right. Jake talks about football a lot, but uh, he he makes this show run. You know, like you said, the, yes, the ones in does. the back. You know, this this show doesn't get to you and without him in there. So he's he's the second exactly. ha- he's the second half of the Rob O'Donnell show, no doubt. Yep, I appreciate them all, and I I enjoy your program, and you have very up to date topics, and you keep me informed, and I like that. Well, that's what we try. That was what we strive to. What are your plans for Christmas, Carol? Do you have family coming in? You going anywhere? What are you doing this weekend? Well, we're not traveling the fifty miles. My family's all within five or. 20 miles so we're all getting together at my daughter's that's great good well i wish you guys a merry christmas and have a great holiday season oh and please i need to say merry christmas to lorraine i love what she when she comes on the different shows and i really love her folks yeah she does where she's gonna call in tomorrow i believe she at least she said she's gonna and uh, she's a she's a person of her word so i expect to hear from her tomorrow and it i tell her all the time she thinks she she's she calls too much or she you know she she asks can i say this can i have a poem can i I said she's always welcome here. She's always welcome here because I see the text messages come in, your call talking about it, the the, the heart she touches when she does talk. So I appreciate right. it, and I'll, I'll relay that, and I'm sure she's listening. Thank you. She's a sweetheart. Thanks a lot. She Bye-bye. Is. Carol, thank you. It's uh, 4.53 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 4.56 here and 36 degrees outside well it looks like a cold case was settled in philadelphia a man charged in a 20 year old philadelphia cold case killing and rape after a dna link officials said man has been charged in a 2003 rape and killing of a woman after he was arrested following a recent machete attack according to philadelphia authorities who says dna evidence allegedly linked him to the cold case Elias Diaz, 46, is accused in the death 20 years ago of Rebecca Park at Philadelphia Fairmont Park, officials said this week. He was arrested Sunday in connection with a machete attack that happened last month, police First Deputy Commissioner John Stanford said in a news conference yesterday. The attacker rode a bicycle along the trail in uh, Pennypack Park, authorities said. Diaz refused to provide his name when he was arrested, but was identified through his fingerprints, officials said. Police police also collected DNA from him. Investigators now believe DNA evidence and other evidence connect him to the 2003 killing, authorities said this week. Diaz is now charged with murder, rape, aggravated indecent assault, and possession of an instrument of a crime, among other allegations, in Park Slaying, prosecutors said. Diaz also faces charges including aggravated assault in connection with two alleged machete attacks in November. Park 30, a student, went missing after going for a jog in 2003. Police said her body found in a wooded area buried under dirt, leaves, and rocks in Fairmont Park. Police collected DNA evidence. Two other women who were attacked at the same six-month period gave matching descriptions of the attacker, according to the police. One woman was attacked in April 2003 by a Hispanic male on a bike. Police were able to gather DNA from that incident. Another woman attacked in October 2003 gave a very similar description of her attacker. Police said on Tuesday, another attack in 2007, a sexual assault of a 25-year-old woman, took place close to where the recent machete attack occurred. 
Police said the woman gave the same description of a male on a bike. Police were able to collect DNA in this incident. Police said Diaz could face charges in these other assaults. All the DNA from different crimes were submitted to a database, and they matched, said Frank Venero, first deputy police commissioner of field operations. We knew we had a pattern of DNA. We knew that we had the same offender in the cases, although they could not identify who he was. In 2001, police cr uh, created a composite sketch using the DNA of the unknown male. Investigators sent the DNA to a genealogical lab and used publicly available genealogy databases finding more than a thousand family members just goes to show uh with dna they're gonna get you sooner or later but he continued to commit crimes it appears in the same pattern of crimes so thankfully he's behind bars hopefully he serves his uh, justice and it's amazing how the sketch actually looks like him that they based off a of dna incredible police work there it's uh five o'clock here at wilk we'll be back